I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1 of 1 John. You may follow along if you have a Bible there. Uh, if there should be one there on the pew, if not, certainly uh, you can raise your hand and the usher will be happy to get you one. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Oh, this is so much. I can't wait. <clears throat> the author. If you've read ahead and you've, you know... This, uh, this epistle, this letter, nowhere in this letter states, like normally the, the other letters we watch, doesn't state who wrote this letter, if you notice that. There's no greeting. We don't even know what, to which church or what, to what group of people. We know it's to believers, but I also believe it's to non-believers as well. This letter doesn't name the author, but we know based on reading of the other scripture, the rest of the scripture, this book has been contributed to the Apostle Paul. I'm sorry, to the Apostle John. And when we take and contribute, we looked at the five letters that he's contributed to as Apostle John and his epistle of, of, of John, the, go, the Gospel of John, the three letters, the first, second, third John, and Revelation that he wrote, we can see the similar language, the similar phrases, and the similar themes. And so historians have, have tested it and looked through the scriptures of this. And when the Bible came together, it, most, and I've never heard of anyone dispute that this letter of 1 John is not contributed to John himself, the Apostle John. Now, the Apostle John was the last of the, of, of the very last of the 12 apostles to die, sometime between A.D. 98 and 100. John wrote this letter toward the end of his life, after a long and fruitful ministry of serving God. A reasonable date for this letter is somewhere in uh, A.D. 90 to 95. And it was likely written from Ephesus to the churches of Asian Minor, over which John exercised apostolic leadership between A.D. 90 and 93. Now, although we greatly find the, the details here of, 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 of things that from a historian's perspective. There's a lot of historians, if you go back and read them, really brings out the fact that at his advanced age, that he was penning this epistle, John was still actively ministering in his old age to the people in this Asian minor area or at the, as his base of Ephesus. And he was solely remaining the apostolic survival and he was the one that really people would come to him, we see historically, to, to kind of pull from and to, to glean from what it was like to be first-hand experience of knowing Jesus, the Messiah. He was the, had this intimate relationship with Jesus. He was the eyewitness associated with Jesus. Throughout his earthly ministry, from his death and resurrection to his ascension. Now imagine how many people take the time now to spend time with people who are over their hundred years of age. To glean from him, to learn from what all the history that they lived. You're, you're le learning it from a book. They lived it. 
They had true intimacy of what was taking place over 100 years ago. And you're just Googling it. You know of things through Google, but they actually had intimate relationship with the time because they lived it. That's how important this man was at that time for all the believers who would come and just spend time with him to say, what was it like? And this is what this epistle is about, is that God is giving John the opportunity to, to write down what is so important for the believers because he knew he was coming to the end of his age. That he was going to go into the presence of God. Into the arms of the Savior. The arms that he had not touched in quite some time. So the main church historians here literally knew back in those days and have cap captured that in their books of the fact of this time where he was in Ephesus. Evangelizing. Overseeing. So many churches that had arisen from the ministry of all the apostles going out. Conducting extensive writing ministry as we have now five books that are contributed to him. That we study today by the leading of the Spirit. So what was the purpose of this letter? The beloved apostle John wrote this letter to encourage believers, you and I and those, the readers of those de that day, to continue in their life of faith in Jesus Christ. In accordance to the, with the gospel. Not to sway away from the truth, the foundational truth that was set from the very beginning. And not to be distracted by the things that, the things that were creeping into the church. The culture of the, of, the, of the world. But to not get distracted in regards to who Jesus Christ is and who he is so personally to you. Or should be personally to you. John also warns his readers about false teachers. And the ways of the world. And proclaim the preeminence of the love of God. Both God's love for us and our obedient response to his love to love one another. The two great commandments. To love God. And to love one another. Now God has put a desire in you and I. A desire for relationships. A relationship every one of us has is that desire. And it's that desire that God has planted within us, a desire he intended to be met with relationships with other people. But most of all, to be completely met and fulfilled in one's life, that need for relationship is by a relationship with God. Most people understand that the important things in life are not the things at all that you have. Now, you might really love that new Christmas item that you got. Oh, you've had it in your hands and you're like a child with a, ch a toy and you're carrying it, that little doll with you everywhere you've gone. And watch out if you try to take that doll away from you. Or your little racing car. Or your Legos. But then watch out over about a month or two Just like your New Year's resolution, it just kind of fades away. It's not as important because something else is taking your attention. But not when it comes to relationships. Because most people understand the importance of these things. Yes, they're important for life, but not as important as the relationships that we have. If you've ever had to move or anything, you miss the, you know, you know, things and places, and, but you miss the people. And it's remarkable that in this letter, this epistle, John tells us the truth about relationships. And shows us how to have relationships that are real, not facades. For both now and eternity, 
to bring you and me into this relationship with God and not just some peripheral relationship, but an intimate relationship. How many people say, I have so many friends? You know where I'm going with this. The thousand friends, the 500 friends, the, the 100 friends, the, some of you are really good. You've got 20,000 friends, I just know. Because you've got that many likes on your, your personal page. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about intimate, personal not just know, but knowing about. That's what this letter will be all about. It's all about relationships. This first four verses are really just a, an introductory. And then we'll get into the meat of it. But we'll see here. First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Look, read again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. This is the Apostle John saying, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, was real. That's what manifested means, real, visual, touchable. Touch, feel, see. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you, to the readers, to you and I today, he declares to you by the power of the Holy Spirit that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The beginning. John starts here with the beginning before creation. Genesis 1.1. John 1.1, the beginning there was before there was anything when all there was in existence was God and God alone. We see in the beginning in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning God. Then what did God do? He created the heavens and the earth. John 1.1, is so profound. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Ponder on those two verses. Because in the beginning, John takes us back to this time of eternity past to meet this one which was from the beginning always existed. Whoever or whatever John is talking about in this first verse, John wrote of as he said it, his subject was eternal with God. That means he was God. Because the subject existed before all else that was ever created and was the source and the basis of existence of all things. We also understand God has revealed himself in creation. We see that in Romans 1.20. But creation alone could never tell us the story of God's love. A relationship with God. But John continues when he says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. John is telling his readers, indicates this eternal being, the one from the beginning, came to earth. And John, among other, the other apostles and others after him, personally experienced the eternal one. Personally. Not just heard of. Just, just not just know but personally experienced. To what level? To what degree? He gives it to us here. He says the idea is that there's this eternal subject of what John is trying to say. He says, I audibly heard. I physically have seen. 
I have intently studied, I have looked upon, that. the, the Greek word is to, to intently study what he's looking at. And he's actually truly touched. My hands have handled. This idea would have enormous implications to the readers of that day. Because the implications were huge because they said that this is the eternal God that came accessible to man in the most basic of ways. Where you can actually see and study and touch and feel. That would have blown their minds. It's the way that anyone can relate to. You can relate to this eternal one. The eternal one can be known. And he has revealed himself to us in the flesh. Literally, the eternal one came and took on flesh to be seen, to be studied, to be touched. That's huge. The implications were so huge when he wrote this and spoke this and taught this because it proved that John's words had the weight of eyewitness evidence. He did not speak based on myths, folklore, a matter of clever storytelling and weaving in like some people can write books to make it so interesting and real when it's not. He was not actually making things up from an emotional illusion. He carefully studied this eternal one and he knew whom he was speaking about. This is huge. Because it exposed to the challenge that he was dealing with and prior to him that Paul was dealing with in Ephesus and as they were um, uh, spreading the gospel and building these churches and encouraging the churches, the challenges that were coming in there was what? False teachers. People coming in and trying to destroy what God had started by creeping in with their, their philosophies of the world. And in this church, and we know in the study of this church, that the most, the biggest thing that uh, that John is saying here is because of the dangerous teachings that were creeping into that church was called Gnosticism. It was part of the teaching of Gnosticism was that though Jesus was God, he was not actually a physical man. He did not take on flesh. That's what they were teaching. It was some, you know, it was some pseudo-physical ghost or delusion or illusion. That was what they were experiencing. But you never really physically talked, uh, touched it. Why? Because Gnosticism believed that directly attacking the incarnation of, 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 of God, of Christ, God in the flesh, they were attacking because they said anything that is of matter was evil. And if Jesus had a physical body, then that must he had evil and that cannot be. But Jesus was here physically. He was perfect. And he is God. And so John is fighting back against this false teaching. And here comes God using John to say, I heard him. I saw him. I studied him. I touched him. Wasn't some illusion? Some ghost or delusion that was people were making up. I physically touched him. I ate with him. I traveled with them. Again, an eyewitness. Now we also understand God has revealed himself even more fully in his word, the Bible. But God's final and most complete revelation is his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father in John 14, 9. How much clearer can you be? 
And because Jesus is God's revelation of himself, he has a very special name that we see here in this first verse. What is it? The word of life. The word of life is his name. John identified the eternally existent being who was physically present with John and the others as the word of life. We get the word logos from it. It's the spoken word that we are referring to in John 1.1. Logos, the word. The idea of logos of the word was so important in John's day because it spoke to not only to the Jews, but it also spoke to the Greeks. For the Jew, God was often referred to as the word because they knew God perfectly revealed himself in his word. The Jews protected the word. But for the Greeks... Oh, they loved the word. They loved the logos. Because the philosophers had this spoken power that they had in regards to over the centuries, uh, basing on the organization and the intellectual of the universe was all based around the logos. But it's the ultimate reason which controls all things. That's where their head was. Not based on God. But based on the creation. Not the creator. Now it is as if John said to everyone, this logos, you Greek, you Jew, this logos, the word you have been talking about and writing about for centuries, let me tell you something. We have heard him, we have seen him, we've studied him, we touched him. Now let me tell you about him. About the relationship that we have with him. Do you see the difference? So many people today call themselves Christians, but it's only based on knowing. Just knowledge. But do you know about him? Do you personally have an intimate relationship with him? Your thousand friends, you do not have a personal relationship with them. You only have information about them that they're willing to reveal to you through the technology. And most of the time, that's all staged. That's just a veneer. But is it really them? So, John is getting this very clear to them that I'm talking about the word of life, the eternal one, a life that was manifested. It was, it, it's, it's actual, it's physical, it's real. And I'm telling you firsthand, I witness, this is who the Messiah is. I'm an eyewitness. We have seen. Now notice in those verse four verses, it's not he's not saying I I I I I. It's we 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 we. So he's bringing in all the apostles, all those who have and know and had a relationship with God. It wasn't just him. No fairy tale. It's not once upon a time story moment. Not someone who's writing a book and creating their own little story in their own little castle. And... But we are eyewitness. We have seen, we bear witness, we declare to you now this truth. Jesus Christ was real and exciting to John. When you, when you, you can picture John when you say, oh, let's talk about Jesus. Oh, he could, probably couldn't stop every conversation that he had the rest of his life. And as he's writing, he could not help but talk about and think about and even write and share with others to declare of who Jesus Christ is. Because in an intimate relationship, you cannot help but share that relationship with others. 
Do you understand what that means? Ponder on it. Just think about that for a minute. One of the biggest things I never wanted to be accused of is be in the workforce and people say, find out after I died. He was a believer? He knew Jesus Christ? He went to church? I wanted not, I didn't know, I want people to know who I am and who I believed in, who I had an intimate relationship with. That I make all my decisions in my life and my family life is for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. That verse was what drove our families for, to live for God. And I don't care if it's my professional life or if it was the church life or if it was neighborhood life or whatever it is. Complete stranger I meet. I did not want them to leave and say, oh, I didn't know he was a Christian. He hid that well, didn't he? I didn't want to be accused of that at all. Because I had no problem sharing. I was married. I had no problem telling them I had children. I had no problem telling them how long I've been married or how old my Because of the intimate relationship I had with my wife and my children, I, everyone who knows me or has spent time with me would pick up the fact, oh, he must be married. There's no question. There's no question he has kids. Now they really know I am a, I'm a granddad. I mean, I mean they, everyone now knows that. I'm a complete stranger, and I got my phone out, and I'm showing you my baby, my, my, my grandkids. Why? Because I have an intimate relationship with them. John is saying... This intimate relationship he has, I want to declare it to you. I want to declare it to you. I don't, I don't want anyone thinking, like, what did he mean by this? No, 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 it's very clear. The eternal life which was with the Father. Jesus is calling the eternal life. John remembered the words of Jesus in John 5.26. Go back and read that today. John 6.48. On the bread of life. Go back and read that again today. But even John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So John didn't, didn't mess around here. He repeats this same thing right from the very beginning of his letter all the way through. The expression of these letters, these words that he's using, the external existence of Jesus is declared to all. The eternal life. That eternal relationship was not just between us, but it started first with the father and the son relationship. Before anything was in created. There was an eternal relationship of love and fellowship between the Father and the Son. Jesus declared that in John 17, 24. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. There was an intimate relationship, a oneness. The eternal relationship is clearly described in the scriptures but how many people and all false cults and everything else are trying to, to try to dismantle and discredit that? It's interesting. Love needs an object. Did you know that? <laughs> you, yes, you can be an object. You can love yourself. Don't get me wrong. Some of you love yourself too much. But since there was a time before anything was created, there was a time when the only love that was in any existence in the, the entire universe was between the members of the Godhead, between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The, one, the word with, was with the Father, indicates that this being, this eternal Eternal life himself is distinct from the Father as well. So John here is building on the New Testament understanding of the Trinity. 
That one God exists in three persons, equal in one, yet existed in, in, in their persons. And the Bible connects this so clearly in the scriptures. We see there that we read, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We see that in Matthew 28:19. The Trinity is revealed to us. We also see the grace and of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, which is the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Let me give you one more. We see in 1 Peter 1, 2 that we just finished studying in 1 and 2 Peter. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you just study the scriptures, you'll see the Trinity very well revealed to us in the scripture. John continues here in verse 3: that which we have been, which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father. And with his son, Jesus Christ. I think this is a powerful verse because so many people say, I can have fellowship with my fellow man. You're speaking like a Greek. If you say, I only fellowship with my like religion, you're speaking truly like a, like a Jew. But true fellowship is not between just you and I. True fellowship between you and I and God. That's the relationship. John is saying here, we have yes seen, we have heard. Now we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. What's that fellowship like? And with truly, the word truly, this is true. This is, the, this is how it is. This is the only way. And truly our fellowship is with. What's their fellowship about? Don't be part of the Apostle Club. That's not what they're talking about. Let's just join the Apostle Club. Let's be members of this club and members of this social gathering we call churches in many times these days. No, no, no. He says we're going to come together in fellowship with one another because that fellowship is complete. It is true. It is real. When the Father and the, and, the, and the Son are part of that fellowship. Oh, no, no. I don't want to step on too many toes today, but it's, it's not you and your buddy and the job. That's not the fellowship he's talking about here. It's not you and your buddy and your favorite football team. No, no, that's not what you get together in fellowship together and we have fellowship and all we talk about is football. No, 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 that's that's not the fellowship he's talking about. He says true fellowship that's going to lift you up and feed your spirit and to help you in life is that the word of life has to be part of that fellowship. Don't be deceived to think you could just gather together under some organization or some religious organization and think you're going to walk out and you're going to have social time because your friends are there and everyone else and we had great fellowship my question is was the word of life part of that conversation or is it because you just work together or because you do the common fun things together. Again, that's part of life, doing doing life together. Don't get me wrong. But fellowship has to, that he's referring to is talking about the things of God, the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal, the word of life. That's going to absolutely fill the need that is given inside you and me called a relationship. Relationship, relationships, relationships. 
Relationships based on, founded on, and encouraged and supported based on God will last for eternity. But you take God out of it, your marriage goes. You take out of it, your family divides. You take him out of it, and your friendships will disappear. Do you understand? Are, are you with me? And most of all of us have lived in some form or fashion when we have taken, and God was not part of that relationship, that relationship just disappeared. Just fizzled away. Or turned quite ugly. This is what he's talking about here. He's using the word fellowship with us. Fellowship, with the, what does that mean? It means in the Greek word koinonia. It's an ancient Greek word that is so, I love this word. Because it speaks of sharing and communion and a common bond and a common life. It speaks of living, breathing and sharing and loving and relationship with one another. Doing life together. Koinonia. A calmness. A commonness. The best verse that I, 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 I really speaks of this is, is where we see koinonia, this word is in Acts 2.44. Now all who believed, believed in the same football team? Not what I'm talking about. Believed in the same mission? Not what I'm talking about. Believed in Jesus Christ, the word of life. Now all who believed were together and all things and had all things in common. Common? Koinonia. Fellowship. See, he says this fellowship is so important when it's based with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a bold statement that he's making here to his readers because it's, you can now have a relationship with God because prior to this, prior to Jesus, they didn't have that relationship, the intimacy that they had. They didn't have the intimacy. They knew of God. God revealed himself in many ways in the Old Testament, but it's not the intimacy of God being in the flesh in person where they saw, they handled, they touched they had a meal together. And this was a huge surprise to his readers. It was an amazing thing that they had to grasp because in the Greek mindset, highly valued the idea of fellowship, but that was only between two brothers. Oh yeah, we get together, we have fun, this is great. Two sisters, oh, this is great. But he says, no, no, it's beyond that. It's a relationship with God that you can have a relationship with God, the Messiah, the Jesus Christ. You can have the with, relationship with a close relationship with the eternal one. Not only can he be your savior, but he also can be your friend. A closest relationship. Which always brings a question to you and I. How would you rate your fellowship with Jesus today? Casual? Close? Or intimate? Yes, you're calling him your Savior. Great, he saved you for eternity. And we praise God. But let me ask you, is it casual? Once a Sunday? Once a month? Christmas, Easter, and other special occasions? No, no, no. No, no, Pastor. I, I, I've got a close relationship with him. How close? Do you call him your friend? Can you really call yourself... Do you, do you desire to have an intimate relationship with God? Where are you in that relationship? Because it's interesting. Many people today find it totally unappealing to have a relationship with God. Did you know that? It's very unappealing. Sometimes it's, it's because they don't 
know who God is. Isn't they, no one's ever shared who God is. They've never opened up the Bible and they've never read it. They've only, they only see little billboards once in a while. God is love. Okay. That's all they know. So it's not appealing to them to hear someone say or to read someone that says you can have an intimate relationship with God. You can have a relationship with God at a personal level who knows you and you know him. It's very unappealing. It's like an invitation to have a personal relationship with God is as, as attractive as saying, go to your dentist and, 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 and get a, a, an aching tooth pulled. That's about as appealing as that is. But when we know the greatness of our God, the goodness of our God, the grace of God, the glory of God, we want to have this relationship with God. See, other people turn from this relationship of God because they feel so distant from him. But let me encourage you, my brothers and sisters, if you've, you've kind of walked away and you've kind of put God to the side and did life and got caught up in the world and trying to create your career, your career and, and schooling and all this stuff, it can be very distracting for people to take their eyes off that intimate relationship with the one who saved you. Let me encourage you this today is to come back to that intimacy. Come back to that healthy prayer life. Come back to the healthy daily reading of the word of God and feeding of your spirit. Get, stay plugged into a godly fellowship that really talks about the things of God and literally is, is true fellowship. But the more you think I feel so distant from him, the problem is that the enemy will get you and make you spiral down to keep you going distant. And then there are some who, that with regards to relationship with God, feel so disqualified to have any relationship with God. They're so unworthy to have a relationship with God. They're so distant to have a relationship with God. But they need to know. You need to know. You need to remember as a believer what God has done to make this kind of beautiful relationship, this beautiful fellowship possible, remember the cross. Remember the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and that he saved you and will bring you back. To that communion with. The kind of relationship John described is only possible because Jesus is who John is saying. He is the, in that verse, one first two verses, if someone invited you to have this personal relationship, the first question is, is who do you want me to have a relationship with? Well, if I said to you, let's have a personal relationship with Mozart the greatest, incredible composer of, of music, of worship. Oh, it's, it's incredible. Personal relationship with him? How about Aristotle, the greatest of minds, the greatest of thinkers? You want to have a personal relationship with him? No, I'm not interested in music, and I'm not interested in deep thinking, Corey. Okay, how about for you, Alexandria the Great? incredible warrior, incredible military mind and, and world leader. How about that? You want a personal relationship with him? I hate politics. Okay, you're so biblical. Would you like a personal relationship with Paul? Moses? Hopefully you've come to your senses by now and said, Corey, I can't have a personal relationship with a dead man. And you are correct. But I'm saying to you, my brothers and sisters, your relationship is with a living man. God in the flesh. Jesus Christ. And you can have a personal relationship with him. If you choose. Have you chosen? And I pray all of you here have said yes. My question is back to the first question, or <laughs> many questions I've asked you so far. How intimate is it? 
How intimate is your relationship with Jesus? The one who saved your soul. That's what John is feeding into and trying to encourage his readers in those days to don't get distracted by the things of this world. Don't get distracted by your flesh. Don't get distracted by these false teachers. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Those things will fade away. And he'll become brighter and brighter. You will fade away. You'll be more of God and less of you. Will transform your life. One cannot have a genuine spiritual relationship with a dead man, but you can have that genuine spiritual relationship with a living one, God Himself, an intimate relationship with God. A relationship that is about sharing life with the Father and the, the and His Son, Jesus Christ. It is, this, it is the Father and the Son as some agree. They're looking at each other and going, We agree, and we got, we're going to bring. I'm going to bring Corey into this relationship with us and we're going to share life and I'm going to share my life with him and he's going to share his life with me. There's this intimacy that's going to happen. Do you have that shared life with God? Do you even desire to have that shared life with God? Do you even, even acknowledge that you desperately need that relationship in your life. Oh, there's no question in my mind that God is touching a heart of someone who has not been born again, not regenerated, who needs to be saved today. I know God is speaking to you. The question is, do you desire to acknowledge how you need God in your life and have that relationship? See, one of the things that John talks about here in this verse that I don't want you to miss is that he's talking about a relationship with other people. Like you and I are having relationships with one another. And he says, he, he starts out by saying, John first considers this fellowship with God's people so important. But this is often how people come to experience a relationship with God is by first encounter. The time when you don't know anything about God, the first, and I can remember my days of salvation when I didn't know anything about God, but my first introduction to God was through a God's person. It was someone who I knew in the business world who got saved and I knew that person, and that's who brought me to God to introduce me to God. So John is saying here in verse 3, I want to, I've seen and I want to declare to you so that I can introduce you to God. Because what we find in the relationship with God, if you have this sweet fellowship with God, with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ, your earnest desire within you is to have this this beautiful relationship, this whole Christian brotherhood, sisterhood, you want it to, for them to be as blessed as you are having that close relationship with God. As a pastor, I, 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 I just, I aches, I have pains where I said, I just wish these certain people I interact with, I wish you would have the relationship with God that I have. Because you wouldn't be in the pain that you're in right now. You wouldn't be doing the things that you're doing right now. You wouldn't have the outcomes that you're having right now. If you would just die of self and choose to put him that relationship number one in your life. So I understand what John is saying here. I understand what God is saying. He's saying, I can take you as a child of God with a desire so earnest that you want that relationship with God so, and no one else can, can get in the middle between you and God. Don't, no one should hinder your relationship with God. And out of that will drive you to encourage others to have a relationship with God. 
That's the sweet fellowship, my brothers and sisters. When we're sitting there and we're having from the Father's Bakers and we're spending time on the Sundays and Wednesdays and other opportunities and just texting back and forth or calling each other, how you feeling? I heard you were sick and you're going back. You're, you're desiring that they're, they stay very close to God and helping them through whatever situations they're dealing with. The highs and lows, the celebrations with them, the, the, and weeping and crying with them. That's what true fellowship is. That's what John is looking to encourage them through all this. He, 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 he says, this eternal one, the one that was in existence with God himself, the Father, he says right at the very end, his son, Jesus Christ, the word of life, truly God, the Messiah, Christ, you could fellowship with him. You could have a relationship with him. And here's what I, you understand in fellowship. Because of that relationship with God, you can literally answer the problem of loneliness of one's life. If you sit here today and say, I am so lonely. And you're surrounded by hundreds. It doesn't matter what the number is. You had 100 people at work, 100 people in your neighborhood, 10, 50, it doesn't matter the number. You can have an entire stadium and still feel alone. God says, I've answered that loneliness problem. And that's called having a relationship with me. And I will take care of that loneliness. Just develop an intimate relationship with me and you won't ever feel alone. He also says, I'm going to deal with the emptiness of your life as well. Look at here in verse 4. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Two greatest problems for most people, especially through the holidays as well, throughout the year, is loneliness and emptiness. And both of those are solved by having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But you're saying, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Corey, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm saved. That just means you know him. But do you know about him? Do you have a casual relationship with him? Or do you have a close relationship with him? Or do you have an intimate relationship with him? I want to encourage you, get to the intimate relationship with him. And I'm telling you, you're not going to feel lonely. You're not going to feel empty you will have such clarity for the first time in your life that you didn't think you could ever experience. A peace that will be beyond your own understanding. You cannot, chaos is going all around. Remember all these apostles? They were in prison. They were being martyred. They were, all of this was going on. He saw, John knew all these other brothers of his was being martyred. And he's writing that you can have the fullness of joy through all of that. Why? Because it's a personal relationship with Christ. He knew where he was going. He knew he was going to be in his Savior's arms once again. We're just talking about, I can't wait to be grasped by Jesus in his arms. He had already experienced that. This result of fellowship in this fullness of joy, this joy is an abiding sense of optimism, this abiding sense of cheerfulness that is in you. You cannot explain this optimism and cheerfulness, but it's based on God. It's the state of one's spirit that brings this joy in your life. Hold on to that definition. That's vastly different, my brothers and sisters, than happiness. Happiness is not 
based on God. It is based on circumstances. It's not based on the state of your spirit. It's based on the state of one's mind. So people say, oh, I don't feel very joyful today. And I say, what do you mean you're not filled with joy? What's hindering you in your relationship with God? No, it's the weather. You can't believe. No, that's called your happiness we're dealing with. Happiness will come and go based on circumstances. Just ask any guy who hasn't been fed. <laughs> Not a whole lot of happiness going on. Hangry is coming out as we talk about it. John is saying, even with all the circumstances, even when the most beautiful thing is happening around you, like the snow is falling, or not falling, you can have optimism and cheerfulness that goes beyond the situation at hand because your relationship with God is intimate. You know without a doubt your life is not based on circumstances. It's based on the eternal one. It's based upon a relationship with your Savior. Joy does not come by direct pursuit either. You cannot wake up and say, I'm going to pursue joy, pursue joy, pursue joy, pursue joy. You, you're, you probably have a works mentality that you've got to get worked out of you. Joy can only come with the byproduct of the right relationship with God. It's called the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5.22. It's something that God produces in your life, this fruit of the Spirit. Joy, that love, that facet of love that can only bear from that relationship with God. Which means, as I think that through logically, if you have no joy, what does that mean to you? Check my relationship with Christ. That's what it means. How do you get that to change? By you choosing to draw close and develop that intimate relationship with God. That means you're held responsible of the state you're in. John clearly echoed the same idea Jesus brought to his disciples the night before he was crucified. Picture it. Jesus knows he's going to be crucified. The guys do not know. But Jesus said to them, knowing they're going to experience something they've never experienced before, that the one they love so is going to be crucified brutally beyond their, his recognition. He says to them, he wanted them to have that fullness of joy for them. That was his desire, his prayer, that knowing that the cross was directly in front of them, he says in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. That means even going through a crucifixion experience of someone you love, that you were following, that you believe was going to save you, that was going to change the whole nation of Israel's situation around, they just witnessed be crucified. And Jesus says, he's praying that they, joy would not leave them. He also said that in John 16, 22, that your joy no one will take from you. We see in John 16, 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. When you have an intimate relationship, you have no problem asking and take, giving and taking and talking. When you have a kind of casual relationship, you don't typically ask people something. And also John 17, 13. 
but now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. All of these statements are coming from the Messiah going to the cross and says to his disciples, his apostles, you can still have joy through all of that turmoil. The fullness of joy. It's possible. If you're sitting here and you say, that's impossible. God's word says it's possible. Hold on to that promise. Pray for that to happen in your life. God, I am asking for the fullness of joy in my life. I've never experienced that. I want that fullness of joy that your word tells me. I believe it. And I want that intimacy with you to create that fruit of the spirit that would come in my life that I will have that fullness of joy. Because I don't have it today. Do you pray like that? Do you ask? But let me also remind you, there's no, that's not a certainty. Because God wrote with the desire that believers would have fullness of joy. And if it were inevitable or very easy, he wouldn't have said that you must pursue it. That you, you need to reach to it. You need to, to move forward with it. The Christian joy is important. And you, you're going to get attacked every day regards to your joy. You're going to have the internal, external circumstances. You're going to have, that's going to try to take, steal your joy. You're going to have those, those internal m- moods and emotions that are going to try to take your joy there's a demonicness the darkness around this thing is going to try to take your joy from sin that you're not willing to let go is going to steal that joy that impede that relationship with you and and god so all of those things can take away that joy but john says here right here as he wrote these things All these things. That relationship I'm telling you about, that fellowship I'm talking about, the love that I'm talking about, if you will just share that with the Father and the Son, your joy will be restored. The fruit will bear from your life. That optimism, that cheerfulness that people cannot shake People look at that in your work environment and go, why are you so optimistic and so cheerful? In the church, why are you so optimistic, so cheerful? Why, when, you're, when things are, you just found, you just, your house just burned down, why do you still seem so optimistic and cheerful about this thing? And then you declare, because my Savior lives. The God that I have a relationship lives, it's all His. He gives us and he takes it away. Blessed be the Lord. Are you there in that intimacy with God? If not, you get to to develop it. Pursue it. See, too many Christians today are very passive about their joy. The loss of their joy. It's just a new day. Maybe tomorrow will be better. They need to realize, you and I need to realize, it is a great loss to lose your joy. Do everything you can to draw close to God. Reclaim that fullness of joy. You must go back into that intimacy, that closeness. Don't, whatever's distracting you from the word of God, distracting you from your prayer life, distracting you from the fellowship, distracting you from being around godly people, you have got to examine your life. You have got to, you've got to start cutting things in relationships or whatever it may be to keep you from no longer drifting away from the fullness of joy that it brings when you are close to God. And if any of you have lost the joy of the Lord, my prayer for you, don't think of it as a small thing. Understand this is a huge loss. And my desire as a pastor for you 
as we see when we get into 3 John. There's no greater joy to see my children grow, learn, have an intimate relationship with the Savior. No greater joy for me. I hope it's this desire in you is that I have for you. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, today I pray that all of us choose today to desire to seek this intimate and joyful relationship with you, God. I do pray, Lord, if there's anything hindering any of the people who are hearing today, that you would show them the things that need to be cut out of their life, if it's biblical to be cut out. Or if they don't know how to get it cut out, that they would seek counsel, they would come, they would ask, and you would open up the scripture to see what your word says about the decisions they need to make. But sometimes, Lord, it's not about what we cut out. It's what we haven't added to our lives. And so I pray, Lord, that we would add that intimate relationship of communicating with you, a deep prayer life, meaningful prayer life with you, our desire to read the word and to hear from you as you speak to us by and through your word. That we would not grieve you, Holy Spirit, but your spirit, we would walk in the spirit and truth. No, truly we are desiring that intimacy with you. With great anticipation of your return for us. In Jesus' name, amen.